are parents, teachers, and educators. And like you, we're passionate about restoring our culture for Christ. This is Veritas Vox, the voice of classical Christian education. Hello, this is Marlon Detweiler uh, with Veritas Press. Today, our guest on Veritas uh, Vox is Mary Kay Andriatis. You'll learn that Mary Kay uh, teaches for our online school, Veritas Scholars Academy, and that will come out through the interview. Uh, Mary has proposed a topic which we have accepted. Uh, what has Veritas to do with Lux and Veritas? I'm not going to ask you to uh, uh, answer that question yet. I'd like to uh, uh, have you give a little background. First of all, in teaching for Veritas, you've been around how many years? Too many, too many, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, Mary Kay was uh, very early on uh, at this moment. We are in our 16th year, and I believe that she has been teaching more than a dozen. Yeah, those, that's, if I'm right. Not mistaken. that's right. That's right. How did, how did you get connected with Veritas in the first place? Well, I, I, my, my background was I, I went to an elite all-girls public school in the Washington, D.C area. And I had a wonderful classical-ish education of small classes, close reading of classic texts, uh, writing essays. And then I went on to, uh, to Yale. And there I saw what I loved about Yale was uh, very, in, very intellectually on students, very um, uh, the kind of people when, when the teacher asks a question, 70% of the hands go up, right? People that want want to know. And that was thrilling. Um, then uh, later I became a, a Christian and I had, I wound up with more education, more education than money, but I had seen something of what a good education was. And so when I saw, I was attracted to the Veritas curriculum early on. So in the, in the 90s, um, I, I was attracted to the Phonics Museum. I used that to teach my children to read. And when I saw the online classes and the whole, the whole program of the classical education, I said, this is it. I've seen this. This is it. It's even better because I'm not only able to ask big questions about humanity, I'm able to ask the big theological questions. It's, it's like my classical-ish education, only better. So I was an early adopter. Um, and I, I uh, used the, the very first online, some of the very first online classes. Uh, my sons took them. Um, one of them is now graduating from law school after learning to argue in the, the very first omnibus logic classes. He's graduating this spring. Wow, that's great. You, you suggested a title that I think needs some explanation. Yeah. Uh, this is what it uh, what it is. I mentioned it earlier. What has Veritas to do with Lux and Veritas? What do you mean by that? Why are you uh, yeah uh, wanting to pursue this thinking? Well, Lux and Veritas is the as the motto of Yale, right? And originally, of course, Yale you say was that like I should know that. I didn't know that. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. And of course, I'm... Lux is Latin for light and Veritas. Right, is, uh, right. So I thought, well, that sounds truth. a lot a lot like my school name, right? Yeah. Veritas. And so that was originally, of course, started out of, uh, you know, it was originally a school for training ministers uh, 
and they've fallen from their original their original goal. I feel like we're doing the real thing at Veritas. Uh, what they tried to do at Yale and have kind of fallen away from it. So we really do care about Veritas means truth. We really actually do care about light and truth. Um, I would say Yale less so cares about that. They, they, they don't care about as much as they used to. Yeah, interesting. You mentioned that you came to Christ uh, through the process of your education, but I know a little bit about that. And I think the people listening would really love to hear uh, a, a brief summary of, of how you came to Christ and, and just how the Holy Spirit moved in your life to bring about uh, you becoming a Christian. Okay, well, well, uh, Marlon, I grew up in a cult. Um, I was a Christian scientist, and um, although Christian scientists do read that we did at that time read the King James Bible, so I was kind of a lonely bookish child. I read my King James Bible, my special Christian science book, also C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and fairy tales. So I had these these beautiful stories in my head in the mix, and I went to this prep school. It happened to be uh, President Ford's daughter was there. There were Jordanian princesses and senators' daughters there. So it was a good education. And I continued to read these great books. And I also, you know, took in a lot of pride. You know, when the, I, I, the Greek mythology, which was another thing I loved to read, there is this memory in Greek mythology that there's been a rebellion against the creators and the, the Greek gods. Um, they're the promoters of excellence and pride, and and that's all very appealing to us. So, and through my high school um, career, I had the feeling that I could go in the direction of excellence and prestige, and also read these great stories. Uh, so, I I uh, took Latin there, which I love about Veritas that we study Latin. I think that was actually the key to my higher SAT scores. Back in the day, I love that um, to people. It's interesting that you can uh, say it firsthand. This is why. Yeah. And you can kind of taste the words down to their roots. And I still love that to this day. Um, So I do I do recommend Latin for that. Um, So I did learn that there. And then. You know, I, I felt like I was on this conveyor belt of excellence and, you know, Athena and everything. And I ended up at Yale. Also, I learned to paint, which was interesting at my school. We had the arts. So I'm interested in how to combine classical education with the arts. I think there's a smart way to do that at Veritas. So that's how I, how I ended up at Yale. And I'm, I'm being an artist. It's all working out. And I decide you know, faithfully not to become a lawyer, which would have been the smart thing to do with that education. I do something, try to do something really hard. I think, well, I'll become a culture maker and I'll, I'll follow this path. So I went to New York to be an artist and all of a sudden nobody cared that I was this, this nice girl from this elite school. Nobody cared. And it was very hard. And I'm so grateful that I had that experience of failure, you know, Yale, to, to uh, trying to make it in the art world. And then that God used that to show me that that thing I'd been reading all along, you know, the Tolkien, C.S. Lewis. I had no idea C.S. Lewis was a Christian book when I read it as a child. That thing, it kind of led me, like there's something underlying this. There's some kind of path here. And I ended up becoming a Christian um, 
I thought about, I really thought about C.S. Lewis. I thought about that, that, that feeling that I had when I read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. There's something there. I have to follow that. So it was the classic books that led me really to the Lord. Um, and I ended up being a, becoming a Christian in New York City. And so fast forward that a couple years later, I'm married to um, a pastor <laughs> raising four children in New York City. And um, I'm, I kind of drop out of the counterculture to do that. And so now I'm thinking, I don't have the finances to do that prep school education. How do I do this? And when I saw the Veritas catalog, I was electrified. Huh. And I thought, well, this is it. This is it. This is the great books. This is the great story, you know, and this is how I want to raise my children. I also, at the same time there in Brooklyn, we were a little ahead of the time. My Yale cohort went, went off to uh, kind of change our views on gender and, and all these different things. They're out there kind of ruining the culture today. Um, and so there I was in Brooklyn with these children, and along comes the rainbow curriculum. I got a hold of the curriculum that was proposed for my kindergartners, and it was a full math and, and, and English curriculum, K through six. And as an integral part of that curriculum in the early 90s, they were going to bring in community experts to teach our children about alternative families, right? So, and this, so is, I, this is the 90s. This is the 90s. Most of us have, in the last few years, been seeing this ostensibly for the first time when it really yeah. has been um, infiltrated into the curriculum. And you're seeing this yeah. 30 years ago. Yeah, I got a copy of that and I thought, this is, this is not what I want for my kindergartner. And uh, also at the same time, I, I got a hold of For the Children's Sake by Susan Schaefer Macaulay. And that kind of, that was the gateway into homeschooling for me. And so then when Veritas came along and then, then the, the live classes were added, I just, I just saw how valuable this was. And so I have advocate parents actually kind of hacking this elite education. I feel like we are offering all kinds of students what used to be the goods of the old-fashioned classical education. It's no longer there at Yale. It's no longer there in my elite prep school. But we are like, like the caretakers of this story. And we are bringing this. I get very excited about bringing this to all kinds of students, students who don't come from, uh, don't, don't uh, grow up with a silver spoon in their mouth. Um, so that's, so I'm excited about doing that. I've done that with my four children. And now I'm excited about doing that with other people's right. children. What, um, obviously you mentioned uh, Yale's roots were training pastors. That was true at Harvard. They were, we're talking about hundreds of years ago. Um, yes. The uh, education is very different today. Uh, what do you see in a classical Christian education that distinguishes it not just from uh, a um, secular classical education, but also from a traditional Christian education? What is it about classical Christian education? that has really caused you to say, as you said earlier, this is it, and has uh, caused you to uh, call it 
a hacking, so to speak, of what those uh, uh, very well-established institutions have uh, purported and been over the years? Good, good question. Well, I remember thinking uh, at certain points of my education, I'm not allowed to ask the real questions. I remember thinking that um, that I had to hide my religious background, even in prep school. Like, they won't understand. What I'm really wondering is these big questions about God. So I could ask questions at my wonderful English class. We could talk about the Greek idea of fate and what that meant. And those were interesting big questions. But I couldn't say, you know, is God real? Did he make the I couldn't ask those even bigger questions. It was so refreshing to be able to ask the truly big questions uh, at Veritas. I had this, I had this feeling of just the world of education getting bigger and including, including more. Mm-hmm. I think uh, so. For instance, you know, some of my some of my well loved books. <laughs> I wish every. Christian could read Eusebius. You know, it's the first book. Um, It's the first church history after the end of the, the, the Bible. Like what happened after the Bible? It's so wonderful. I wish all the parents could read this uh, with their, I I advise them to. So, uh, so getting parts of this history, the, the religious parts of the history, which are left out because, so for instance, Another example of leaving the important parts out, can, uh, in, my, in our public school, students get a kind of a sequence through history. So American history, they learn about the Puritans without learning about the Reformation. So the Puritans are kind of reduced to the Salem witch tra- trials and um, reading uh, the sinners in the hands of an angry God without understanding the gospel. So you, you, you come to sinners, and that's your only text for understanding the Puritans. You think, wow, Jonathan Edwards sounds angry, and you have no idea that he's talking about, you know, being saved from that. You have no idea. So, so leave it there. So the secular education leaves out these, leaves these big holes in people's understanding. And I remember feeling like these things are being restored as I was homeschooling with my children, these parts, yeah. these, these yeah. really important parts of the story. I uh, uh, I have recently been you know we're we've been addressing for years uh, people who have not valued a Christian education, let alone a classical Christian education. And recently, um, just as an exercise, and I was not at all I wasn't surprised, but it was still a stark reminder. I googled. Uh, 10 most important events in history. And I never found a list that included the incarnation Hmm. or God becoming man. Now, some might say, well, what's really important is the resurrection. I'm kind of grouping all of those things, the presence of Christ, his, his work, his miracles, his death, his resurrection, all as one. And even with that understanding, not a single list included that when looking at the 10 most important events in history, according to the lists that had been posted. 
And that's really telling because even the most uh, agnostic or even atheistic historian would naturally recognize that when Christ appeared, things changed and the way people were dealt with the creation of hospitals and universities and war and the way wars were fought, what wars were fought about, all of those things yeah. were dramatically impacted by that singular event. And yet they refuse or haven't to this point put the incarnation on the list. Right. To me, that is one of the most dishonest things imaginable. Yeah. Even coming from it, coming at it from a secular vantage point. Any thoughts right. on that? Right. Absolutely. One of the books that we teach is on the incarnation. Uh, the the granddaddy of all books about the incarnation. And I love that I get to do that with eighth graders. Uh, that's it is the pivotal, the pivotal thing in our history, and it's this giant hole that's left. Uh, you will not understand your world uh, if you don't understand the incarnation, right? Yeah, it, 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 it's really astounding how secular our culture has become. Uh, yeah. One of the things you mentioned as we talked about this prior to the interview it was the idea of fairy tales and mythology and those stories and how they sh shaped your childhood and how they now impact you today. Uh, tell us about that. Yes, I think growing up, I, I believe in children growing up with these good stories. Um, uh, fairy tales, myths, they have truths in them. And I still draw on these today. I want children to have that, even if they, you know, maybe have a learning disability. The great stories are very instructive. Um, I have now, um, you know, the, the uh, learning about Greek mythology, um, learning about, yeah, yeah, I, I many times return to fairy tales. I think I've become that, um, that wizened old woman in the forest that you you come by when you're you're on your your quest and you you better listen to her because she has some she uh, she knows the way up the mountain she knows she knows how to get around the obstacles I've I've become that person, right? <laughs> That's so great. what a what a great analogy. Uh, there's something else that you wrote that I have read recently that really needs uh, some unpacking. Art is long, but people are eternal. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So, you know, I wanted to become an artist and I still do art. I still do that. Um, and there used to be a saying, life is short, art is long, right? And that's, that's true. Um, yes. The, um, you know, Beowulf, uh, the, that that book has is, is lasted a long time, but you know, there's something that lasts longer than art. There's something that lasts longer than great books, and that's people. People are actually eternal. So I like to say life is short, art is long, but people are eternal. Yeah. So the way we interact with these young people, that's that that has an impact for eternity, right? It 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 really. It, Putting that in perspective, the idea of shaping a child for all of eternity is a very, very 
uh, sobering uh, consideration as we think about being parents. Um, how would you say uh, they're uh, addressing people that that might say, uh, what does, make sure I get this right, Rome have to do with Jerusalem? Much, is that right? Yeah, I guess that's that was what I was thinking of. What does yeah. Rome have to do with Jerusalem? And and the idea of how do classical books that we read in the omnibus that are not of Christian content, uh, how do they fit together with the gospel? Mm. Why why are they important? Ah, uh, that's really good. That's really a good question. So I love that my um yeah, so for instance. I love uh, teaching Beowulf. Uh, Beowulf shows kind of a pagan mindset, this pagan warrior mindset. In my um, in Omni- with the older students, I teach the saga of the Volsungs, and it's a very um, dark, claustrophobic worldview. Beowulf is a little different because it's written by a Christian looking back, so there's a little bit of foreshadowing. Um, but you can learn a lot by looking at the pagan do, do we uh, the pagan worldview um, the 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 Sigurd character the the Beowulf do we really want to go back to that in a world where there's no uh, there's no gospel um, so reading those and and contrasting them interacting with them together is fantastic uh, right now in my other uh, on the other extreme we're reading Moliere Moliere was uh, kind of a free thinker. He was not espousing a Christian worldview. And um, it's, uh, we're reading Tartuffe, which in my experience is usually read to make fun of Christians. It seems like everybody gets this idea. Tartuffe is about a hypocrite in uh, French enlightenment, enlightenment France. And I've seen this played on stage. And usually people say, I have a great idea. Let's make Tartuffe a modern evangelical and make fun of them. <laughs> That's usually what they will do. But actually, it's kind of fun to read this, you know, in-house, right? Because we do encounter hypocrisy and talk about it and engage. And, you know, Mr. Moliere is really, um, you know, he has his own axe to grind. So analyzing the non-Christian, not being afraid of the non-Christian books and analyzing them is very fruitful, yeah. Right. Yeah, we have, culture before yeah, Christ we, and post-Christ culture. Yeah. Yeah, we've we've grown up with some significant element of influence that says don't touch secular things. Yeah. Stay uh within the Christian community entirely. And our great books curriculum, the omnibus, has said no to that way of looking at things in an effort to repair students for anything that they encounter in Absolutely. life. Absolutely. You've seen that both as a teacher and a parent. Talk to me about the value and, if you believe so, the wisdom of doing that. Yeah. Amen. I love that. Um, I love that about about Veritas. I mean, we shouldn't be afraid about reading other cultures. Actually, one of the things I love is that right now, uh, this semester, I taught the story of Marco Polo. And our curriculum is specifically Western civilization, which I think that's all we have time to do this pass through history. But we, you know, we touch on Buddhism, we touch on um, 
Chinese religion. And uh, we shouldn't be afraid of these things. We have these wonderful resources and we have these, these classes where we can kind of deeply engage. And, uh, you know, I love that. Um, another, another book I read, The Distant Mirror, we read parts of this. I call this the Middle Ages, the bad parts. Okay. Right. Because let's, let's, let's face up to the bad behavior of the adults here. Right. You know, and analyze why it happened. Right. It was terrible. (laughs) You know, um, I don't think we need to be afraid of that. I think the gospel has the gospel and, and Christian teaching is realistic about humans and what they're like. Um, so engaging with the bad parts of history is really important in uh, preparing our students. Yeah, the gospel, the gospel is so overwhelmingly true and powerful that we need not fear those things that have attempted to dismantle it. But we have to think through them carefully and thoroughly so that they are really understood for what they are and what they aren't. That is, um, alternative and wrong-headed uh, worldview thinking and, and beliefs. Uh, and yes. How has that impacted your kids? Um, I think they really appreciate the feeling that I was not, I think they appreciate that I was not intellectually protective, yeah. Right. Like, tell, bring, me, bring me the competitors. Let's talk about it together. Let's engage with them. And I, I like going to the original sources. Okay, let's not read Siddhartha by, you know, some Western guy. Let's, let's you know, let's read uh, the stories about uh, the Buddha. Uh, let's read the stories. Let's read the original sources. Do we, you know, or, or do, we really, do we really want that, right? I think that we... Yeah, we need to engage with the original sources, and that's helpful to them. Uh, they got the feeling that they could ask any question, right? That's wonderful. Uh, what, what a great testimony to parenting that uh, you have that kind of uh, channel with your children, and, and I, uh, I, I commend you for that. That is, that is really, really good. Your, uh, uh, your teaching with Veritas has been uh, a very... Uh, well received uh, by the students, by the administration, uh, and and by us, it's been a, a wonderful thing. We're so thankful uh, to have you and the perspective that you bring to it, along with your uh, uh, credentials, uh, really does uh, validate what we're trying to accomplish. And it's so good to see it in your students and and in your family. What uh, what did I not ask you about that you might want to say before we close? Hmm. Hmm. Well, let's see. Hmm. Let me think. I didn't mean to stump you, so I'll fill in <laughs> silence a little bit. And if there is yeah. anything, that's certainly okay too. It has been, uh, I think, what you have here's, said will really be yeah. impactful for those that are listening. Here, here's something. You know, I uh, 
one of the thing, one of the one of the people that we study in when we read Dante's Inferno with with eighth graders, it's so amazing uh, to get to do that. You know, students, middle schoolers, really are. Um, it's I love immersing them in the great literature, and maybe they don't pick up everything, but they pick up quite a bit, right? Middle schoolers really identify with Augustine's conversion, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, this this idea that. Um, you know, he ate the pears just for the wickedness of it, not because he even wanted the pears, he threw them to the pigs. So, so I love enga- engaging. Another, another interesting one that's become a, a big issue, when we read um, the Inferno, we read about Brunetto Latini, and there he is, um, he's, he's in hell, and he's a homosexual. And so that's a big, a big issue. And I love that we get to talk about, we don't shy away from the big issues with the kids. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting is that um, this man is inferno, in the inferno, not because he had same-sex attraction, but because he became an atheist in response to his difficulty. There are repentant sinners of all kinds in higher up in 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 purgatory and in heaven, people in the inferno um, didn't have a response to their difficulties. So I I like to teach this issue. I like to think about how you know Dante is actually upset. This is a person who helped him. Like I am sad that you're here in inferno, yeah. Brunetto. Um, and so I think it's it's. It's wonderful to teach that. It's not that we don't have the same difficulties other people do. It's that we have somewhere to turn with them. Yeah. So I like using these, these classic, um, I like using that issue to say to students, you may have difficulties, you may have temptations, but there's, there are resources for you in Christianity. And so I can talk about that in a way that doesn't single anybody out and kind of prepare them ahead of time to face this issue. So that's something I love about that, that our curriculum allows me to do. Yeah. Well, that's become more important uh, in the last few years, too, to be able to address all kinds of uh, unbiblical uh, behavior and thinking. Thank you so much. Well, right. today we've sure. had Mary Kay uh, Andriatis. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, you and your husband, Sam, have been a wonderful blessing to Veritas, and I appreciate uh, being able to uh, have this time with you. Uh, keep up the great work. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks.